Welcome back to Telegnosis and Tea podcast with your host Tess. This is a podcast about anything creepy, weird, conspiracy theory, paranormal, true crime, basically all that's weird in the world. And we have a special guest. Hi, Matt. Hi. Want to introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Matt. I'm uh, Tess's boyfriend. I'm dabbling in the supernatural. I suppose. <laughs> dabbling. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay. Well, this is Telegnosis and tea, but we're both not drinking tea. We're both drinking rum and coke because we're going to play with a Ouija board after. <laughs> we got and some we hard to... topics today. <laughs> yeah, we had to drink a little bit first. All right. I didn't have an episode last week, but it's because I was switching medications. I've been super tired, but I got a new mic so you can actually hear me now. And it's amazing. I also now have a coffee account, ko-fi account, if you want to donate because the podcast is starting to cost money. <laughs> so if you like the podcast, go to www.ko-fi.com slash telegnosis and tea and you can donate a coffee if you want to. It'll go towards the microphone. We also have PayPal now. So that's telegnosisnt at gmail.com. If you want to donate, you'll get a shout out on the podcast. Okay, Matt. You have two questions coming on the podcast. Okay. First question is super important. Yes. Do you believe in aliens? I definitely believe in aliens. Okay, elaborate. Are they little green men? Or, like, do you think that spacecrafts are actually coming to Earth and, like, surveying us? Uh, I don't think they've entered our atmosphere. I think they've probably just observed from orbit. I don't think we're ready to make first contact with aliens because we're still... Uh, having wars with each other and stuff so they're probably like we don't really want to meet these guys yet uh, it's not great i think even if there are aliens that are watching us they're just like watching us like a tv show like rick and morty yeah they're yeah. watching covid right now and they're like mm, show me what you've got <laughs> <laughs> which country will make the vaccine yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this was an alien conspiracy this whole thing yeah exactly <laughs> They were like, oh, this earth's getting a little stale. We better make 2020 mess up. <laughs> They're like, we're on our 2020 season of <laughs> earth, and it's getting real boring. Yeah. We need something more exciting. Yeah, the last thing we did this cool was throw Christ in there. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe they've been watching for, like, millions of years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just pick 2020 because it's the year. Yeah, you know. But, there's, yeah. There's still fanboys for dinosaurs. Like, yeah. We want the first season. It was the best. There's dinosaurs eating each other. There was giant mushrooms. It was amazing. Hell yeah. Everything was irradiated. Okay. Second question. What is the scariest, weirdest, or creepiest story you have? Well, when I was in university several years ago, I lived briefly with a murderer. Uh, so that was cool. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah, no, it was, it was not actually cool. Uh, it was kind of frightening uh, in retrospect. But uh, yeah, so this, this guy moved in, and I lived in a house of uh, 11 people in a four-bedroom house. So that no. Was, that was fantastic. You know? I would hate living in a four-bedroom house with four people. Yeah, you know. I mean, there, there were illegal bedrooms, obviously. So we had, obviously. Like, so everyone had a bedroom, but, you know, it was pretty sketchy but so <laughs> okay we, wait was your bedroom like six feet by like six feet like was it like tiny in the basement are like some of the bedroom floors were like split into like five bedrooms 
uh, in the basement, they were only split into three. So we actually had a decent amount of space okay. in the basement. And I paid the least, which was funny. Nice. Anyways, so we get this, like, roving band of people moving in and out for months on end. Or they're just, like, trying to find new places or whatever. And so this guy moves in to the first floor bedroom. And it's all isolated by itself. It's the only bedroom on that floor. And so we just kind of have that and then the common room. But... Uh, we called this guy Giraffe because he was just really tall, and th- he didn't really like talk to us too much. He was like kind of creepy because he was like really old. He was on his tenth year of a poli sci degree, <laughs> so that was that was great. I mean, kudos to him for. I thought you only had like eight years to finish a degree or something. I, I'm just going by what he said, and so maybe he wasn't even in school. Maybe he was not even in school. I don't know. <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to trust the word of this guy after everything that happened. So, anyways, he lived with us for three months. He just had, like, a mattress on the floor, and there was, like, pizza boxes everywhere. Like, we just saw him go into his room, and you'd see what was in the room, and it was just a bunch of empty bottles of, like, liquor, and just... Oh, no. Yeah, so, and he would steal our booze, but then he'd, like, replace it with a full bottle, so we're like, all right, like whatever (laughs) you gotta gotta go you gotta go man whatever you got this half bottle of whiskey but uh you replaced it with a full bottle so so okay all right whatever um so then uh we also had this other roommate she was an asian girl that lived with us uh, and uh she was in the business program now we we hung out in the common room all the time and he was like he talked to her like quite a bit, but didn't really talk to the rest of us too much. And he moved out, and shortly thereafter, she moved out. She went back to Vietnam to move back in with her folks, and she was done. So then, like, we had him on Facebook because when he lived there, like, he'd get locked out sometimes. So he would just like send us a Facebook message to open the door for him if he forgot his keys or something. We're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, we'll unlock the door. Yeah. But so then he just started randomly messaging us at like four in the morning being like hey where's that girl at where'd she go like what's what's her deal what's she doing now we're like she went back to vietnam man like she left what you did like i don't i don't know where she's at like i haven't talked to her but he kept he he asked like four of us in the house like like probably once a week for like a while right and then then there was uh, a murder on york campus uh, so i went to york university in toronto and uh there was a, a murder of this girl uh, from China that was – she was Skyping her boyfriend back in China uh, or, like, webcamming him some way. So then um, the boyfriend saw her get abducted by this guy that came into her room while she was webcamming. And uh, they were able to identify that it was this guy that we lived with, Giraffe, a.k.a. Brian Dixon. And she was found naked and murdered on your campus and it was a horrifying thing was she a student there i believe she was yeah uh she was she was living in our student village um, oh okay and so i'm pretty sure she was but then we get all these calls from like cbc because they saw we were like friends with him on facebook and stuff just because of the like letting him in the door or whatever when when he was locked out and so they're calling us asking us for comments and stuff like really i don't know anything about him he just hung out in his room the whole time he was a tall guy we called him giraffe when he drank all our booze like (laughs) there's really not much for me to tell but it was a very harrowing experience for us because we realized that you know it could have been the the girl that uh, lived with us uh, that moved back to vietnam so naturally she was 
a little shaken up by that. And, oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we were too. And so that was, uh, yeah, that was one of the creepiest things that happened to me uh, ever. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty creepy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true crime. <laughs> true crime. We have our first true crime guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you for sharing that story. But the girl that you lived with is doing really well now. Yes. So. She's, she's killing it out there. She's doing fantastic. Yeah. Um, kudos to her. Yes. And the guy who did the murder did go to jail. Yes, he is convicted. Uh, he was convicted, I believe, in 2015. Uh, he is serving out a sentence. So, I mean, justice was, justice was done, at least. they. I'm glad they were able to catch him. Thank goodness. Yeah. Okay. So, my story today was originally just going to be about Bunyip, but I thought I should have some background on the Rainbow Serpent as well because they, like, super overlap. I wanted to be respectful since the Rainbow Serpent is the creator god for a lot of Aboriginal Australian groups, so I didn't want to dive too deep into it without having first-hand knowledge of it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give some background, and I picked this story one because you said you wanted a cryptid mm -hmm. and two because i realized we're probably not going to be able to travel anywhere for like at least a year if not like a couple of years yeah. so we're gonna travel to australia for an australia <laughs> cryptid yeah yeah <laughs> okay matt before yes. i told you that we were doing bunyip and the rainbow serpent and forgot to tell you not to look it up <laughs> yeah had you ever heard of the rainbow serpent i had not okay <laughs> I would ask you, like, what you think it is, but you already read about it, so it's not quite a surprise anymore. No, you did not clarify not to look it up, so. <laughs> My bad. Okay, so the Rainbow Serpent is known in many Australian Aboriginal uh, cultures as a deity. Often it's the creator god. It goes by a lot of different names, translating most commonly to Rainbow Serpent, but it also goes by Rainbow Snake, Copper Python, Copperhead, the Great Father, and a few other translations, but I'm just going to stick to calling it the Rainbow Serpent. Um, it's also most commonly called, like when you're searching it, Guriala, but uh, Rainbow Serpent is easier. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct. And I did look up how to pronounce it. Did you? Yes, okay. I actually did this time, but I think I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, there wasn't a lot of pronunciations. So. Yes, okay. The Rainbow Serpent. It is male in some cultures, female in other cultures, mm -hmm. non-binary in other cu cultures. It's often to always bisexual across cultures, which makes it even better, in my opinion, that it's a rainbow-colored serpent. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And in some cases, it's both male and female, so hermaphroditic. Mm -hmm. And when the Rainbow Serpent is depicted as a female, usually it has breasts. Hi, Max. <laughs> <laughs> so it's super common to see the rainbow serpent as a motif in numerous Australian Aboriginal groups. Oh, this is when I'm supposed to show you a picture, but I forgot. I didn't have it up in oh time. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, no. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there it is. Whoa, cool. I'm going to have pictures up on the Instagram and the Twitter. All right. But describe what you're seeing. Uh, I'm seeing a really cool drawing of a serpent thing with like a beard and it kind of looks like a traditional like uh, native mask you would wear 
there's some cool like arm kind of things hanging out at the top look, looking like hair it's pretty cool yeah it's really neat yeah so um since it's the creator for a lot of aboriginal australian groups the rainbow serpent while seen like a serpent it kind of is more of a spirit so kind of fluid and there's a common connection between it as a creator as well as other creators and other stories and its connection to water and rain the rainbow serpent is usually blue red yellow and orange which represents the seasons Blue for winter, red for summer, yellow for spring, and orange for autumn. When you see a rainbow in the sky, that is said to be the rainbow serpent moving from one water hole to another, which is how Australian Aboriginal groups explained why some water holes never dried up even during droughts. Cool. Yeah, right? That's really neat. Yeah. But if you see one in the sky, you should not interrupt it or go disturb it because you can make it angry on its journey from one water hole to another. And it might cause an earthquake or turn up the earth. Yeah, don't mess with rainbows, man. They'll kick your ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like a ton of myths associated with it since it's the creator being. Mm-hmm. And, okay, since you have a background in myths, but ancient Greek and Roman myths. Yes. So a lot like how Zeus is in just a ton of myths. Right. The rainbow serpent is in like a ton of myths. Now, is it... Uh, in the same vein of Zeus, where he's just having sex with everything. No. Is, okay. <laughs> okay. So we're in we're in different cultural. It's, it's here definitely now. a different culture. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but all of the myths demonstrate the significance and the power of the rainbow serpent. Mm. So I have this quick myth, which was written on wilderutopia.com by Jack Eit, and it goes like this. In the middle of the country, the great serpent rested for a while as he was sick. He had eaten one of the great red rang- great red kangaroos, not the great red rangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> that he considered his to take as he wished, but it had been too old and tough and hard to digest. Goriala spewed it up again and left it lying in the desert. Many years later, his people found the remains and called the Great Red Lump Uluru, which is, you've probably seen it in a lot of movies. Oh, yeah. It's also called Ayers Rock, and it's located in the southern part of the Northern Territory in Central Australia. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how that rock got to be there. Cool. Yeah. I love origin myths. Me too. So it's known to be a giver of life, like I said, because of its association with water, but it's also known to be a destructive force if you make it angry. It's most common and well-known... Uh, oh, it is the most common and well-known Aboriginal Australian story. And it continues to be of great importance to Aboriginal society today and is a huge cultural influence. It is also one of the oldest continuing religious beliefs in the world. That I find extremely cool. Isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, the rainbow serpent in many cultures is said to be the ultimate creator of everything in the universe. In the Legends of Creation, which is also known uh, in Aboriginal Australian culture as the dream time. Mm-hmm, so the yeah. dream time is a period, of, this is a quote, a period of time in Aboriginal belief when ancestral beings created the land as well as the social and linguistic structures in it. Oh, really? So that was the when everything was created. That's was cool, during dream time. That's when the rainbow serpent emerged from beneath the ground, forming the mountains, gorges, basically the landscape when it came up. The rainbow serpent was the most powerful of the dreamtime beings, 
so powerful it made the other Dreamtime beings nervous. The story kind of changes depending on the region where the Aboriginal group is inhabiting, varying mostly because of environmental differences, but the Rainbow Serpent is relatively consistent as the creator of the Earth, if not everything. It's huge, and it's said to inhabit deep, permanent water holes. So in quite a few different Australian Aboriginal tribes, they have rituals when approaching water holes to let the Rainbow Serpent know they're coming. Usually it involves singing, in telling the rainbow serpent what the intentions of the person are with the water hole, as well as rubbing earth onto your body as you approach so the rainbow serpent can smell you coming. Mm. Living in the water holes is a lot like the bunyip, which is what brings <laughs> us to the bunyip. <laughs> okay. The bunyip. Are you ready? I am ready for the bunyip. I'm so excited because this is such a cool cryptid. The bunyip, also known as the Kiamprati, is an amphibious Amphibious and nocturnal cryptid from Australia, originating in Australian Aboriginal mythology. A 2001 book by Robert Holden recorded at least nine regions and variations of the bunyip, but across all regions it is said to inhabit watery areas such as swamps, billabongs, creeks, riverbeds, and waterholes. And fun fact, I had no idea that a billabong was anything other than a a brand. What's that one store in, like, every mall? Bowhouse? Yeah. Yeah. So, a billabong is actually an Australian term for an isolated pond or body of water left after a creek or river changes path. Leaves an old branch of the river with a dead end, which is also known as a dead river. Mm-hmm. And they can fill with water some parts of the year and be dry other parts. It's true. That's what a billabong is. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew from a song about a kookaburra that I learned in grade four. Oh, that's adorable. Wait. That kind of... I think I might have learned that same song, but forgot it. Kookaburra rings in the old yeah! country. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I haven't thought about that forever. <laughs> Bunyip is generally translated to mean devil or evil spirit or water spirit, but that may not accurately represent the role of the Bunyip prior to European contact with the Aboriginal Australians. Of course, their, like, their background of the devil is entirely different than Europeans. So Yeah, and I mean, you know, Europeans are just scared of what they don't know where it doesn't seem like the aboriginals like treated them like that as like something to be respected more than something to be feared yeah yeah okay after this brief description matt what do you think this creature looks like pretend you didn't see people's depictions of it on the (laughs) internet because you weren't supposed to look it up before i wrote this question Let's, let's try to mindscape this. Yes, okay. If you heard Bunyip and we're approaching a water hole, what would you expect to see? Like, I would expect to see a giant, hulking, mutant bunny. That's my favorite answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which could be, it could be kind of correct because the characteristics vary so dramatically. Right. <laughs> okay. So there are two kinds that are usually seen. One resembles a seal or a swimming dog, and one has a long neck and a small head, but they're not the only two kinds. These are just the most common that people see. Mm -hmm. So the first one, resembling a seal or a water dog, is usually described as having a shaggy black or brown fur. They're about four to six feet in length, have heads like a bulldog with prominent ears, and whiskers like a seal, but they have no tail. (laughs) It gets better. All right. The other kind, with the long neck and small head, is described as having the same shaggy black-brown fur coat, 
prominent large ears, but they're between 5 to 15 feet in length, have small tusks, and a small head like a horse mixed with an emu. They have a long neck. It could be three feet long, but the neck has a mane. They have, quote, many folds of skin, so I think they're, like, super wrinkly. Mm -hmm. And they have a horse-like tail. Okay. So, separate creatures, subspecies, or male and female? What do you think? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Male and female. But I, I'm going to say the female is the one that could be 15 feet long. Oh, yeah. Like like uh, full-on like hyenas. Where yeah. They're just like way bigger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I like that one. Mm. But it keeps going. Okay. <laughs> Every kind of bunyip that there is, is a good swimmer. They have a loud, roaring, terrifying call. They feed on crayfish and sometimes women and children. And lay bright blue eggs in platypus nests. They also have apricot-colored eyes. The body generally looks like that of an ox, a hippopotamus, or a manatee. However, it can also appear humanoid. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> just cover all the bases. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nothing's more suited to in the water than a human body, right? <laughs> or an ox. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it gets even better, oh, though. Oh, I love it. Let's go. <laughs> It has also been described as having bird and alligator together characteristics, a long bill that's serrated and sharp as a knife on either side, having a mouth on its stomach, one large eye in the center of its head, also being the shape of a starfish but walking on four legs. Sometimes it's covered in scales. Its hind legs are usually, quote, remarkably thick with four legs that Is are that longer. Is that two C's? Are we talking two C's here? That's <laughs> exactly how I read it. That's the level, The back yeah. legs are remarkably thick. Yeah. <laughs> I like them thick legs. <laughs> the four legs that are longer, and it swims like a frog, but it also walks on shore sometimes with two legs, sometimes with its head up. It's also described as possibly being 13 feet high when it stands on its back legs. Also, some sightings have described it as being... A man-snake hybrid with a beard. People got to make up their minds, man. <laughs> Sounds like the dream time was what was happening with all these people coming up with this stuff. It's, it's such a mixture, but hold on. I'm going to have a picture. This is one artist's depiction. Oh, my. Can you say what you're looking at? I, I am looking at some sort of plant. Dog bird oh no, hybrid. Where do, where do you start with describing it? I, it's got floppy ass limbs and like, but there's a bunch of fur everywhere, and then like a giant eyeball on the top, and then it looks like a bell sprout snout on the front, and it's got a weird little hump on its back. Like, it, I think it needs to get that removed because I don't think that's natural. That's a good way to describe it, actually. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. This is another artist's depiction. It's not quite as exciting. That's the one I saw. That's okay. Yeah, and you know, I'm all about that. That looks cool. It's like a cat, bear, saber tooth thing going on, and it's like covered in weeds and stuff and fur. So, I mean, it looks menacing. I like it does that. look menacing. I agree with that. Oh, I put this in my notes though. If someone listening wants to draw a picture of what they picture when they hear the description, please draw it and tag us in it. Yes. Oh I want to see what you think of when you hear the description. So do they just attack women and children as far as you've seen? Or We'll get to that. Okay. All right. We'll get all right. There. I know you got this laid all out. I so. do. I do. I got notes. 
Okay, so where did it come from? Today, it's believed that the folklore originated from Australian Aboriginals seeing seals and hearing the call of the bittern marsh bird, which I have a YouTube video that someone posted that I probably should have gotten their, their name, but I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> and Good call. This is what a bittern marsh bird sounds like. Yeah, so that's what it sounds like. That sounds like a blinker on your car and a drip of water at the same time. Do you remember um, the Peter Pan Disney movie? Yeah. You remember TikTok the alligator? Yeah, yeah. If I heard that in a marsh, that's exactly what I would picture. Yeah. Okay, that was posted by NWW Mark on YouTube. It's called The American Bittern. So if you want to go and listen to it yourself he goes on a whole hunt to try and find the american bittern but anyway that's what it sounds like and i don't know from other accounts of like the bunyip it sounds like he makes like a screaming roar so hearing the sound of the bittern i don't think that adds up well you know it's uh, it could be just the mating call and then the or the screams the mating call i don't know ah! <laughs> come here baby ah! <laughs> What, you don't find me attractive? (laughs) (laughs) The origin of the word bunyip likely comes from the Wemba Wemba language spoken by Australian Aboriginal folks in the southeastern part of Australia. But the first time bunyip was written and published was in the Sydney Gazette in 1812. So the legend of how bunyip came to be kind of varies, same as the rainbow serpent. Mm -hmm. But it goes usually like this. The rainbow serpent... When creating man, created Biami, a very wise man, who grew old until the mother of life gave him both a spirit form and the ability to protect all other aboriginal tribes from harm. So, Biami was known as a good spirit, and chilled with different tribes, being loved by all of them, and they had good vibes. (laughs) One day, the rainbow serpent was sleeping underground in the place that it came from before forming the earth. While it was sleeping, a tribesman broke one of the rainbow serpent's most important rules. Do not eat any of the rainbow snake's own totem animals. Oh, what are the totem animals? Great question. I googled it, and I think that it's the uh, animals that were reserved for just the rainbow snake. Oh, okay. But I couldn't really find definitely what it was. Alright. So I think that might be a different legend possibly that i couldn't find Mm -hmm. so i'm not too sure but he ate one of the totem animals and he was not supposed to bad form man yes so biami saw him eat this totem animal and got really upset since the rainbow serpent was still sleeping biami punished the tribesman himself and turned him into the bunyip biami told tribes not to go near it and this made Bunyip mad, so he vowed to use his evil to bring unhappiness to the tribes and devour any human that crossed his path. He made his home in water holes and roamed the earth at night. So his story began to be passed down, and it was passed down for a while until two women heard the story, and despite being warned by the elders, they went to find Bunyip to test and see how powerful he really was and if they had to be afraid of him. Yeah, that's what you want to do. Just test every evil's power. Yeah, right? Great, great idea. That makes sense. Yeah. Let's go taunt the bunyip. Yeah, that... let's go find this metal animal and just die. <laughs> <laughs> so in 
So, as you can probably guess, Bunyip caught them, and he made them into his slaves as water spirits. Nice. When the elders found out, they taught the tribes to be afraid of water spirits as well, as they were under the control of Bunyip and were being used to lure men to Bunyip's waterhole for food. Nice. We have Australian sirens. Yeah! That's exactly what I thought of when I heard it. That's awesome. Yeah, so to this day, Bunyip is still out there chilling. I think he does still have the slave water spirits. Cool. So, you know, don't follow a pretty woman into a water hole. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm following any women into water holes. Even you. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like, you know, Australian water holes, not the place I want to be. <laughs> no. No, there's a lot of dangerous creatures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In legend, the Bunyip has long, sharp claws, but prefers to kill its prey in a different means. Can you guess how, Matt? I might have read how. Oh, no, because I was going to give you the hint. If I was to accidentally kill someone, it would be in this way. Yeah, you would hug it to death. <laughs> yeah, it hugs. <laughs> its usual method of killing prey is by hugging it to death. It also can cripple victims with its roar and hypnotize humans into being its slave. Well, that's that's a tough customer you got there. <laughs> Many Australian Aboriginal myths involving bunyips say that when women and children go near water at night, the bunyip will grab them and eat them. Why just the women and children, though? What is it got, like, the the men? Like, nothing going on? He just likes women and children. But, I mean, in the original tale, he talks about the women leading men back to be eaten. Yeah. So, I think maybe it varies depending on the area. Just mm. as a general rule, like, I wouldn't go around to water holes taunting bunyip. Yeah, that's, that's probably a good move. It's probably a very good move. <laughs> so a lot of suggestion has been made by various people that the bunyip is a cultural memory of marsupials that are now extinct. Ooh. Such as the diprotodon or the palerchestes. I don't know if I'm saying those right. But we don't know, of course, because how would you ever really figure that out? But also those uh, creatures were herbivores. Right. And I'll show you a picture of them. Tell me if you think this looks like a bunyip. Oh, yeah. The top one, for sure. Okay. Describe what you're seeing. The top one is the diprotodon, and the bottom one is the palerchestes. Okay. Azeal. So, the the top one kind of looks like a just a giant wombat, and uh, it's got like a big, bulbous nose, and it's really furry. It's got a little, little stubby tail there. But, yeah, it kind of looks like the proportions of what I've seen Bunyip hanging out with. And then uh, the bottom one kind of looks like it's just a big old anteater. Uh, again, with, like, long arms, stubby back legs, and, like, fur. But it's got, like, that sort of hangy nose, which, you know, could be yeah, interpreted like as anteater. a beak. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's true. You could see that as a beak if you were... Sound at night or something. I mean, I'd say their back legs are thick. Yeah, they're, yeah, definitely thick with two C's. <laughs> so post-European contact, there's a lot of records in the 1800s of Bunyip. A lot. Mm-hmm. All right. So the first recorded encounter with Bunyip happened in 1818, but that's kind of contradicted to the 1812 where yeah, I was gonna say. someone did write about Bunyip, but this is the first encounter... I think by somebody reputable. Not to say oh. that the first person oh, so wasn't. We, we got a crackpot the first one. <laughs> yeah, that, like, no. 
And now we got what the mayor of some places or like what is this? We got some uh print pronoun. What is it? Explorers, renowned explorers, renowned, renowned yeah. explorers. Yeah. Um, Hamilton Hume and James Meehan. Okay. So these two explorers were in Lake Bathurst, located in New South Wales of Australia, mm-hmm. and they came across humongous bones that they described as being similar to that of a manatee or a hippo, but not either. Right. They never actually called the animal a bunyip, but they didn't talk too much about their experience. And strangely, the Philosophical Society of Australasia offered to pay for all the expenses for them to go back and retrieve these bones, but for unknown reasons, the men declined. Right. So they were full of it. They made up the story and it was gone. That's what I'm reading. Yeah. Yeah, they were like, oh, shit, we have to go back and get the bones. Oh, man, people got to, like, they don't believe us right away we with don't no know evidence. We do now. Oh my god. <laughs> if only we could have taken a photograph, but we don't have that yet. During early European settlements, the Europeans believed Bunyip was likely a creature that hadn't been discovered yet, since all of just Australia was filled with not yet discovered flora and fauna. Yeah. So Europeans often began to associate loud unknown cries of creatures to the being that of a bunyip, which reinforced the idea that a bunyip was an unknown animal. Could you imagine that though? Like every day you're just like waking up and you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna explore this like 30 miles around me or something and then just going i can't wait till i see a bunyip like i don't know where they are but they're here somewhere (laughs) (laughs) you're just so pumped you're like i'm gonna be the first to see a bunyip yeah what up let's go to billabongs check it out (laughs) imagine all the aboriginal like are around going um we warned you about it though yeah like, they're like don't go near the bunyip and the explorers are just like putting on their hats yeah they have yeah. like tilly hats even though it's the, eight, the early 1800s yeah. and they're like we're gonna go find a bunyip i'm not really worried about being a slave to a water spirit <laughs> In July 1845, a newspaper titled The Geelong Advertiser announced fossils belonging to a bunyip were discovered near Geelong. One bone was shown to an Aboriginal Australian who, quote, at once recognized it as belonging to the bunyip, which he declared he had seen. On being requested to make a drawing of it, he did so without hesitation. I do not have a picture of the drawing. Oh, man. I know. I don't know what happened to that drawing. I bet it looked cool. I bet it was awesome. In January of 1846, a skull was found by a settler on the banks of the Murrumbidgee River near Balrand, New South Balranald, New South Wales. It was originally reported to be the skull of something unknown to science, but Aboriginal folks were shown the skull and were determined it was from a bunyip. Hmm. So I have what it looked like. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a bunyip for sure. 1847, huh? Yep. Cool. Yeah. uh, It's a picture of a drawing of, by somebody did in 1847 of the Bunyip skull, and it's reproduced by the Tasmanian Journal of Natural Science. Tasmanian. But yeah. That's totally what I said. Yep. That's exactly what you said. Uh, I haven't even had like one full glass of rum and coke. (laughs) It's a super weird skull where it's like deformed at the back, kind of broken off. Got some chipped teeth on the front and a broken off nose. But so, like, obviously, if this was a bunyip, he's in a real bad fight with another bunyip. <laughs> wow. So, it was actually tested to determine it's biological. Oh, cool. It was found to be the skull of a fetal foal or calf. 
Oh, yeah, no. So oh, it wasn't man. actually the skull of a bunyip. It was from a fetal calf. Well, that's a rough, rough life for the calf before it passed away then. Yeah. Yikes. However, in March of the same year, a bunyip was sighted sunning himself in Melbourne. Oh, shit, yeah. Three men set off to secure the creature, but as soon as they got a yard away from it, it seemed to disappear. A yard away? Yeah. I think they got three feet away from that thing? Yeah, and it disappeared. They described it as being kind of like a platypus, only gigantic and mutant. (laughs) Well, that's pretty cool. Sometimes shortly before 1847, George French Angus wrote information about the bunyip from the Murduni people, or the Murduni people of the Murray River. He wrote that it was, quote, much dreaded by them. It inhabits the Murray, but they have some difficulty describing it. Its most unusual form is said to be that of an enormous starfish that walks on four legs. I'm still having trouble with this starfish thing. Like, what have you seen that's, like, got mammalian or uh, avian characteristics that has starfish floppy limbs going on? Like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure, like, a starfish, but, like, it's one, like, the top star... You know, like, the top point is, like, kind of, like, a really long neck, and it's got a mane, but it's also got, like, an emu horse head, and then it's got, like, this bill, but the rest of it is, like, a starfish, and it just kind of walks like I imagine Staryu from Pokemon (laughs) Walks. Well, now that's an imagination test. I like that. (laughs) That's what I mean. If someone who's listening, like, has in their mind what they think it looks like, I want to see it. Yeah. Yeah, combine every description we put together today into one beast. So, including the fact that it's either five feet long or 15 feet long. <laughs> it's either chunky or thin. Maybe it stands on two legs. Could be four. Maybe has scales. Also fur. Could have a long neck. Could have a short neck. Could have a bill. Could not. Mm-hmm. Could have no nose at all. Good it's to up go. to you. Yeah. You've seen Harry Potter, right? I have. You remember that one creature that like transforms into whatever you're afraid of? Yeah. I bet it's that. Oh, that'd be cool. It just turns into whatever is scary to you. Well, good, because I'm not scared of any of those things. Oh, a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Come on, bring it on. Let's go, Bunyip. It just turns into student debt. No. (laughs) I've almost defeated my fears. (laughs) Almost. The largest amount of Bunyip sightings occurred in the 1840s and 50s, especially in southeastern colonies of Victoria, New South Wales, and South Australia. That's when the most sightings happened. In 1851, Australasian newspaper reported that an outline image of a bunyip had been carved by Aborigines on the bank of Fiery River near Ararat, Victoria. It was called the Chalisum Bunyip. Its outline was carved around a bunyip that had reportedly been speared after it killed a man. So somebody had killed it. The Aboriginal tribe went back yearly to continue tracing around the carcass. That happened until the mid-1850s, but why they stopped, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I think possibly it was because so many Europeans decided to go to that place where they were carving it. Mm-hmm. But from the info that we know, the outline was about 11 paces long and 4 paces wide. But the outline no longer exists. In the 1850s as well, Bunyip began being a mainstream term in the broader Australian community to mean a synonym for an imposter, pretender, humbug, or the like. Humbug. 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 Very like, humbug. That's, 
that's an outlier in that thing. Like, I get it if it's a shapeshifter and a whatever I fear. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, it's just grumpy. But just a grumpy. Bah, humbug. Uh, so in a book written in 1878 by Robert Burrow Smith, titled Aborigines of Victoria, over 10 pages were devoted to the bunyip. But the book concluded that the creature is so terrifying, when you see it, you aren't able to take in all of its characteristics or, like, form it in your mind. Okay, now I'm just picturing the animal, like, the, the alien from The Thing, where it's just, like, have you ever seen Body snatching, movie? right? It was very, like, yeah, but they're in the Arctic and it takes over, like, the dogs and yeah. stuff. Have you seen it, though? Yes. Okay, yeah. When it takes over the dogs and it's got, like, Spoiler six heads. Alert. What? Spoiler alert from a movie from 1983? Yes. Please pause the program. Go watch this movie because it's Halloween coming up anyways. And it's awesome. It is a great movie. It's one of the best practical effects movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Off topic. Back to it. <laughs> Bunyip. What's happening? <laughs> yeah. So it's like taking over creatures' bodies and their minds. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really cool. It would be, be really a cool, cool twist. So, there's not a lot of info on it between 1878 and the early 1990s, besides, like, it being in popular culture. But, in the early 1990s, paleontologist Pat Vickers-Rich and geologist Neil Archbold said that Aboriginal legends, quote, perhaps had stemmed from an acquaintance with prehistoric bones or even living prehistoric animals themselves. When confronted with the remains of some of the now extinct Australian marsupials, Aborigines would often identify them as the bunyip, unquote. From the bit that I read about that, they're kind of saying, you know, they're these big fossils. Yeah. And how else do you explain it? Yeah, really. Yeah. There are these giant bones left over from something. Mm-hmm. There's got to be, a, you know, a reason for it. Totally. Nowadays, bunyip is a part of popular culture. With there even being a kids' show featuring a bunyip. Really? Yeah, a friendly bunyip, though. Oh, really? That the embodiment of evil with water <laughs> slaves, that it's somehow like a pal to the kids? Yeah. <laughs> There's like a kids' show about a bunyip. Does he pretend to be friends with the kids and then just eats them off screen? I or? tried really hard to find a YouTube clip of it, but I couldn't. Oh, my god. I think goodness. it was kind of an obscure show. Do you know what it was called? I had it written down, but I didn't actually okay. put it. Well, in that's there. that's fine. But but we'll we'll find it after. We will. We'll, yes. We'll post it to the Instagram. Yes. There was a children's book also published in 1962 that was called Gloop the Gloomy Bunyip by author Colin Thiel. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> Seems gloomy as all hell, all the time. In 1916, there was a ragtime musical comedy called Bunyip. Was it about the Bunyip? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's just called Bunyip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, here comes the Bunyip. <laughs> <laughs> Ragtime music and burlesque dancers <laughs> off to the side. You got like flappers hanging out, the water spirits, but like luring guys in, like, hey, what's happening? I'm <laughs> thinking like the water spirits are kind of behind the times. So like <laughs> they're just catching up with the 1920s or something now. So you'll be like in the middle of the bush, suddenly see this beautifully dressed flapper and just like, hey, big boy, want to go to the water? And you're like, what? You know, that probably would work better for me than, than anything now. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, va va boom. <laughs> What's that old time term for legs? 
Gams. Look at them gams. Look at them gams on that gal. Yeah. <laughs> I'll follow you to the water hole any day, honey bee. Sounds like a euphemism in itself. Oh, no. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And most recently, in 2016, there was a film made by an independent Australian film creator called Red Billabong, which is about two estranged brothers being stalked by the Bunyip. There's also a movie just called Bunyip, and it was a horror movie about Bunyip. Well, we gotta watch that. We have to watch that. We have to watch it. Absolutely. We also have to watch Red Billabong. Yeah. Yeah. Because if nothing else, you need to see a billabong. Because apparently you didn't know it existed. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I do the clothing brand. I mean, when I was in like high school, billabong was so cool. Yeah. The brand. Yeah. I had like billabong flip-flops and stuff and sweaters. In my high school, it wasn't a thing yet. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder when that brand came out. I think, like, right before I went into high school, possibly. I don't know. I don't know. It's probably older than I was that, probably older, but, but, like, it was big in, like, 2007, right before going into high school. People mm-hmm. were like, yeah, Billabong. Yeah. That's that's the end of uh, the Bunyip, by the way. It's the end of the Bunyip. That's the end of the Bunyip. What do you think of the Bunyip? I'm, like, I'm, I just want, I want to see one. I got I got to see what this thing is because apparently nobody can quantify what it is. It's just like, <laughs> oh man, look at that thing! I've never seen that before. It's a bunyip, I guess. You know, it's got uh, water slaves it's got over there. Literally everything. Yeah. And also, there's two slaves, so it must be a bunyip. Yeah, it's got to be a bunyip. It's got a crew. You know. <laughs> <laughs> got the flapper crew with my bunyip. <laughs> Thank you for joining me on my podcast, Matt. Thank you for having me, Tess. It was a pleasure. Good. I'm glad. (laughs) And like we kind of said throughout it, the pictures and stuff from the podcast are going to be on the Instagram and the Twitter. The Instagram is at TelegnosisNT and the Twitter is at TelegnosisPod. So yeah, we're going to go make some more drinks and play with the Ouija board. You ready? Oh yeah. Let's get freaky. Woo! Let's go get freaky. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye!